Hey, Forge family. The first episode last week of our study in 1 Peter um, gave us the opportunity to be all introduced to Simon, son of John. And he and his brother Andrew were fishermen. He was born in the town of Bethsaida, settled into Capernaum, and it was in that place that he encountered Jesus of Nazareth because Jesus wanted to use his boat. And then Jesus came to his home after synagogue service, and Peter's mother-in-law was really sick of a fever, and Jesus healed her right there. And then surrounding that house in the evening, many, many came from the region, and Jesus went out and healed them all. Now, if you recall, there were 36 miracles that I spooled off to you in, at, um, during the Gospels, and Peter was present for all those miracles. And yet, somehow, he still denied Jesus. So, that's helpful for us, because we could be steeped in a miracle culture and, and miss the key element that faith flows to us by the Holy Spirit. Okay? But this was before, this was before Pentecost. This was before uh, Peter had encountered a risen Lord. Now he stands as an example for all of us. We all need Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with Holy Spirit, Peter then, we and he, both of us, you know, Peter preaches, he heals. He travels, he teaches, and he carries in him the mission of being sent out as as an apostle by Jesus to disciple nations. Toward the end, we we talked about his writings. And um, in this case, this is his first letter. It's a circular letter sent out to the churches in Asia Minor. And we believe that it was written down in this, in this letter form by a man named Silas, who traveled with Paul and is now obviously with Peter. He's an amanuensis. He's a secretary who's well-educated and well-anointed. So Peter blasts away as if he's preaching instead of writing a letter, because that's what he's doing. He's, he is preaching, and Silas writes down what it is that by Holy Spirit is pouring out of the Apostle Peter. So in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, I want to read the first couple of verses. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. <clears throat> and obviously, as we read through this, you, quickly you pick up on the fact that there's a reference to God the Father and to the work of the Holy Spirit and to, the, and, to and, and Jesus himself. And so the, the Trinity is fully involved in delivering to these people who are scattered through the nations, through the provinces. These are believing people who are now living in 
pagan neighborhoods, working on the job sites with, with people who have no interest whatsoever in who Jesus is. Okay? And, but they were hand-picked and hand-chosen and hand-placed. Okay? Now, in Exodus 34, Moses is setting in place before all the people of Israel as they come out of Egypt and they're out in the wilderness. And so God has made a covenant with the people of Israel. It's described in Exodus 24. And in that covenant, obedience by the people is the critical link. And so this covenant is read out to Israel. And they respond verbally, all this we will do. And when they said that, they were, that was their part of committing to this covenant with a living God who saved them out of Egypt. At that point, Moses took the, the sacrifice. He had a sacrifice that had been, been um, placed on the altar, but he saved the blood and bowls. And half the blood of that sacrifice was poured out on the altar. And half the blood of that sacrifice was then sprinkled on the people. Now, <clears throat> when, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was poured out in front of the Father and was the full, complete, propitiating Sacrifice. It made things right again with God between mankind and God. It took away the sin of every man for all time. Sin is no longer the issue. And then we are sprinkled with his blood. Remember we go into a communion service and we reflect on the new covenant, which is his which was made by his blood. It made, a, it made a way for us to be in the presence of God. And we come in and we say, because of that blood, because I've been washed clean, because the penalty for sin is removed, I have access to Father God. And Peter concludes this first couple of verses here, and he says, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. But that's grace for the day. That's not saving grace. That's sanctifying grace. Okay? That's the grace that's changing you day by day. And it's peace that's poured out on you every day so that you know you have a place beside Jesus, seated in the heavenlies with him, with the Father. Yours is, is and it's yours in ever multiplying measure. I mean, that's as, that's as extravagant a statement as, as you could find in the scriptures. Now, in verses 3 to 5, Peter says that he was preaching this. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, Ford's family, here, God the Father has caused us 
by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the death of his son, and the resurrection, it has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Peter loves this word, living, because for him, Jesus was so alive in him. Holy Spirit was so living and present. His relationship and access to the Heavenly Father, it was a living thing. And the hope that that was going on into eternity. Okay? And that's, that's anchored by, and it's made, it's made possible by the resurrection. So too, we will live in the same living hope. We too, Forge family, we're inheritors. You know, we are sons, we're co-heirs with Jesus. And so it's our joint inheritance. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it won't fade. I mean, it's sweet stuff, and it's held safe for us in heaven. And we ourselves are, the text says, it says we're protected, but literally it's garrisoned. We're surrounded by, we're protected by the word of the Lord spoken over us by the power of God, by his ministering servants and his promises. We're protected 24-7. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 5, it talks about salvation that's, being, that's ready to be revealed kind of in this end times. Now, Peter and the believers that he's writing to believed. They, they, they had this certain sense that Jesus was going to come in, at any time. That they were in the last of days. That Jesus was coming imminently, like now. Okay, But this salvation that's being talked about here. Remember we talked about salvation for, uh, in present tense, past tense, future tense. Uh, when we when we talked through Galatians last fall. So past tense salvation is called justification, which means just as if I had never sinned, because the penalty of sin is removed. Present tense salvation is called sanctification, means the power of sin is being removed from our sphere of influence. We're being set apart for his intended purpose. And finally, the future tense of, of salvation is what's called glorification. I will be in his presence in a new body, and there will be no presence of sin. Sin will be completely done away with. That's the salvation that Peter is speaking of here. It's in future tense. It's glorification. Okay, this great salvation is ready to be revealed in this last time, in the last day. Now, he wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. He preached this out. Silas got it down. They passed it up through Asia. It was, it was copied. And then it was, there were circuit writers. They would go on to the next and read it and go on to the next and read it and make copies. And, and they compare the copies and make sure they're dead straight, identical, and then go on and then go on. <clears throat> now, we, we're familiar with the term sozo. Okay, that's the word for salvation, to be saved. Okay, we're saved, we're healed, and we're delivered because that's all that's packed into that one word, sozo. But we're brought into a glorified state where there's no tears, no disease, no pain, there's no presence of sin, and we are to be with Jesus, and we are going to be like him. So that glorified state is waiting, ready to be shown, 
ready to be revealed, ready to be manifested. And it's that living hope by the resurrection, okay, by the, by the fact that we have a promised inheritance, and by the fact that we will be glorified. We're going to be saved to the uttermost. That is that living hope that Peter's writing about. Now in verse 6 to 9, it says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here, Peter describes the joy of this promise, of these promises, and personal experience as exuberant, triumphant joy. And then he turns and says, oh, but then in this short season that you're in, you're, you've been distressed You've been made sorrowful by, and the word is pyrasmos. Okay, in the New Testament, this word is the word that's used alternately for testing and or temptations. The testing is what God puts into your life so that you pass that test and you go to the next level. Temptation is what comes to life because we're in a fallen world and Satan lay, loves to lay traps. He loves to dig trenches and, and have us fall in them, have us stumble. Okay, same word, but you have to translate it and interpret it based upon the context. So the word here is, okay, you guys have been harassed. You guys have been really tested by this stuff. Okay? So when you're being tested by God, everything comes out into the open. Nothing is allowed to hide. And the reason for these trials, verse 7, is so that your faith, you people in Asia Minor, all the way from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea, you people in California, and wherever God places you, scatters you, causes you to prosper and serve Him. Okay, the reason for trials is to prove your faith is genuine and pure. And Peter comes right back and says, it has more value than gold that's tried by fire. Because you see, gold can be worn away. Gold can be worn thin. Have you ever looked at your grandmother's rings? Her wedding rings? Sometimes those weren't her rings. Those are great-grandmother's rings. And the rings that started out being symmetrical and round are now no longer symmetrical because they've been worn and worn, and worn, and the gold is wearing away. You could also take gold and put it into an astounding blast furnace and vaporize it. Get it so it's not only liquid, okay, it melts, it, it'll melt out into a puddle, but you, you end up putting so much oxygen and heat into the equation that it literally will oxidize, you go into gold oxidize, you know, 
gold oxides and and evaporate because you have you have put so much heat to it. In this case, he says your testing as by fire is going to prove that it that your faith is going to last. It's going to last better than gold does. So that when Jesus appears, you may be found filled with praise and glory and honor. Remember that picture where the saints before the throne of God take the crowns that they have earned, the crowns that they have won in great battle for the Lord, and they take the crowns and they cast them at his feet. Because that's our, you know, he was so faithful over us when we're in his presence. We have, we can only worship him. We can only lay down everything we have. So in this case here, in verses 7, we're being examined, we're being tested so as to prove that our faith is pure, that our faith will last. In gold mining situations, when you've determined that there's gold in a piece of property, you take a, take samples of ore. You think you found a, a vein of, of gold-producing uh, rock and, and ore, and, and you take this ore and you take chunks of it and blocks of it, you take it to an assayer, and the assayer will crush that ore down to a uniform kind of sandy can, you know, texture, and then he puts in the crucible and he melts it, and under great heat, the gold separates. Gold comes out of that uh, powdered material and separates. Now he is care- he will have carefully measured the weight of the sample of ore. And then he can carefully compare how much weight is there of the gold that's produced from that sample of ore. When the report comes back to you from the assayer, that report is vastly more valuable than the value of the little bit of gold that comes back to you from his office. Because that report will say, you have so many ounces of gold per cubic yard, per ton, whatever it is. But that report says, there's gold in that dirt. And that's what you're looking for, is the proof that there's actually gold right there in the ground. Verse 8 Peter says, and though you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. This is the word agape. This is the word, the word that, that is handpicked and used in the New Testament to describe a love that is so self-sacrificial and self-effacing, and it pours oneself out for, in, in love for someone else. It is not conditional. Okay? So you have not seen him, but you love him with that kind of love. And though you have not, you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, as you rejoice in him, you prepare to receive the outcome of your tested and approved faith. And the last line says, that is, the salvation of your souls.
Now, Ford's family, obviously, you two were chosen out before the foundation of the earth. You were scattered into neighborhoods and jobs and relationships and classes, scattered into, into family relationships as well, because mom got married to dad, and there's all those cousins over there, and they don't know Jesus at all. Okay? Surrounded by those, you've been surrounded by those who do not yet believe in Jesus. You too have been called to obedience. You too have been uh, sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and, and, and you're drawn into this new covenant. You too have an inheritance waiting and secure. You too are surrounded by the arms of Jesus. The ministry of Holy Spirit and the ministry of the angels that God sends to be part of that garrisoning, you know, the protection around us. So this day, this day, rejoice. Your overflowing joy is here. Because out of the testing that you're going to experience, it hasn't come yet, it will. That's just life. You're going to be tested. Okay? When you're tested, what will come out of you is the assurance of your faith and the promise of your final salvation. His presence in you that you long for. Now, how can we be sure? Because the Holy Spirit will keep growing his fruit in you. The Holy Spirit will lead you to obedience in Christ. The Holy Spirit will assure you that trials will prove your faith. Holy Spirit's going to come and whisper in your ear, hang in there. This will pass, and you're going to pass this test and go to the next level. See, Holy Spirit will release that agape love inside of you. Remember that love that was talked about in Galatians where we cry out, Abba, Father. Something leaps up inside of us and we love God for what he's done for us. We love him for the Father's plan. We love him for Jesus' sacrifice for you. We love him because of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit around us. Now, one more thing. Some of the ancient manuscripts translate that last phrase in verse 9 differently. And that's worth looking at because there are multiple manuscripts that, that say it a little differently. Okay, Where it says, you know, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy, obtaining at the outcome of your faith the salvation of souls. And it eliminates the word your soul, your souls. So one of the possibilities of the way to treat this passage, Forge, is to look at that last line. I don't think that's the flow of the text, mind you. I think Peter's, as it's translated as your souls, I think is the more correct reading. But you know what? When, when we're filled with Holy Spirit, when we're pouring forth our praise, and we're excited about what God is doing in us and around us, that shows on our face. That shows in our priorities. It shows how we relate to f- friends and family and to the lost. And it bothers them. That last category of the lost. Those who have really, they hadn't any interest whatsoever in Jesus until you showed up joyful, patient, willing to endure, passing tests with a smile on your face and a smile in your voice. And and you're the one who goes through life hugging people and blessing them. You know what? You obtain the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of souls. People will be drawn inexorably toward the fact that you love them, you care for them, and you have a precious treasure in your heart you want to share with them. All right, Forge family, what we've done here is very simply we've gone through, here's a historical context, this is what it, the text says, this is what the text means, and then the last question is, how do we apply this? That's classic. It's a classic way to look at Scripture, unmask it, un, un, uh, unearth it, expose it, make it shine. So this week, my prayer for you is that you will obtain as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls and the souls of those around you that are entranced by the fact that Jesus lives in your heart, and comes out of your very pores. God bless you. Love you. We'll see you soon.